Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And this morning we are finishing up this series that we started at the beginning of the year called Who Are We? As we look at what it means to be a local church, a local body of believers. And so far, some of the things that we've looked at are that oh, as, the, as the local church, we are the body of Christ. Uh, his, his body made manifest, connected to the head who is Christ Jesus. Um, we looked at how we are the temple of God, God's dwelling place, uh, how we are the presence of the future, that through the church, uh, we get to see glimpses of, of what we will experience in heaven. So we get to experience glimpses of the community that we have with one another, the, the fellowship that we have with God Almighty, that we are a holy uh, apostolic church, meaning that we are set apart and sent out by God, set apart for God, sent out by God to carry the gospel message to the world. And then last week we looked at how we are a crucified people, people who have laid our own lives down, and how oftentimes this will mean uh, suffering as, as followers of Christ in the world, because we serve, a, we, we serve a, a God in a world that doesn't understand who God is. This morning we're going to look at what it means to be a resurrected people. Uh, now if you look at the gospel accounts of Christ's resurrection. They're really fascinating. Um, because in each of those accounts, well, we see several people who knew Jesus well during his time on earth. And yet, when they see him after the resurrection, they don't recognize him. We see that in Mary Magdalene when she arrives at the tomb. And, and the gospel account says that she uh, saw the Lord sitting there, but she didn't recognize that it was him. And then later on, we have uh, the, the two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. Now, these probably weren't some of the 12, but, but some of the, the larger group of followers of Christ that, that followed him during his earthly ministry. So they had been around him. They had followed him. They had, been, they, they had seen him. And yet when he encounters them on the, on the way to Emmaus, they, they don't recognize who he is at first. We also see it in the, uh, the account. The disciples are in the boat. They've gone back out fishing. They see Jesus on the shore. And you remember he tells them to throw the nets to the other side of the boat. And, and as soon as they pull in, they catch a fish, Peter realizes that it's Jesus and jumps out of the boat and swims to him. But, but at first they didn't recognize him. So it, even though Jesus clearly had the same body, because we're told that he, that he had the scars in his hands, that he still had the holes in his hands, he had the scar in his side from where he was pierced, there was something fundamentally different about him after the resurrection. Now, as the people of God, as followers of Christ, we have this promise that one day these bodies that we're in will be resurrected to be with God. And I believe that's, that's I believe in a physical resurrection of these bodies. I believe that's what the Bible talks about, that, that these bodies that we're in now, once you're dead and gone, that, that something's going to happen in there, they will be resurrected. And they will be raised to um, and, and taken up to the clouds to meet with God. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. I don't know if heaven's going to be all of us in our 18-year-old selves, right, running around. Um, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, if, if you're immediately restored to, like, 18, 19, yes, I'd be about 30 pounds lighter, and I'd have a little bit more hair on my head, and, man, it'd be great. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. But the Bible tells us about a physical a literal, physical resurrection of our bodies on that day. 
But here's the thing. The Bible also tells us that at that moment that we receive Christ as Savior, we receive a resurrection in our bodies. Something happens in that moment. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So something fundamentally changes at that moment. Now, clearly, that's not a physical resurrection, right? Your body does not immediately change the moment that you become a follower of Christ. As cool as it would be, we're not immediately restored to our 18-year-old selves the moment that we accepted Christ. Again, that would be pretty cool. But that doesn't happen. There's something that happens on the inside. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to, to be a resurrected people, people who have experienced the power of the resurrected Christ in our lives and are walking in that. So if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 through 14. So stand with me as we look at the word that the Lord has given us this morning. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this great passage. As we look this morning at what it means to be a resurrected people, people who've been saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ Jesus and have been raised to walk in a new life, will you show us what that means this morning? Will you make that a reality as we live day in and day out? We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, I know we have a lot to do at the end of the service, so I'm, I'm not planning on taking a real long time. And, and let me simply say that in these 14 verses, there's probably four or five weeks worth of sermon material to unpack here. So I will do my best to not preach an hour and a half. I will do my best to, I mean, we're just barely going to scratch the surface, y'all, at what Paul's saying here. So I have uh, three really quick points that, that I just want to kind of look at as we look at what it means to be a resurrected people. First one is this, God's people are made alive with Christ. God's people are made alive with Christ. Now, if you pay attention at all to movies or television, you may have noticed that our world is somewhat obsessed with zombies at the moment. Zombies kind of weird creatures that aren't really alive, but they're not really dead. Um, I think that they're described a lot of 
a lot of times as the undead. So if you've seen movies like World War Z or I Am Legend or TV shows like The Walking Dead, we're just, we're obsessed with zombies in our culture. Now, in movies and in television, usually zombies are caused by some weird spread, like epidemic spread of some disease, Zika virus. Um, okay, I'm just kidding. It's probably not going to happen, okay? Uh, <laughs> but so, so some disease breaks out and it almost kills people, but not really because then they come back as zombies. And, and here's the thing. Zombies kind of look alive, but they're not really. Uh, they don't think and feel like living beings. They usually simply exist and have to follow their most basic instinct, which is to survive. And, and usually Hollywood depicts that by they have to survive by feeding on living humans, of course. And that's where the, all the drama comes in. Um, now, what's interesting is this is kind of the picture that the Bible gives of those who are living without Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul is going to say that, uh, that those who don't know Christ, are dead in their sins and trespasses. This is how he puts it, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So, so this is kind of the zombie state of what it means to be living apart from Christ. The, the Bible describes it. Paul says here that they are dead. Apart from Christ, you're dead. Now, clearly we know that p- people who live outside of a relationship with Christ are very much alive. But what Paul's saying is that they're, that they're driven by these desires, by just these base desires. They follow the course of the world. They follow the prince of the power of the air, who's Satan. And he says, we, we all once lived this way, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Because here's the thing. If, if we just let humanity go and run wild, things are not going to get better. It, it, in fact, if in any situation that we've looked at throughout human history, where there's anarchy, n- nobody just like lives in peace and gets along with one another. Things always go bad. Think of any city where there's a major disaster and, and kind of law is suspended. Have you seen the pictures of people just rioting and looting? Like, like things spin out of control very quickly. Why? Because sinful desires take over where there is no restraint. That's, that's human nature. And so Paul says here that that's how we all once lived before we came to a saving relationship with Christ, that we, we, were, we, we were without God and without hope in the world, is the way he goes on to put it in, in Ephesians 2. But there's something different about those of us who are in Christ, a fundamental difference. Paul says that if we have been made alive with Christ, we should not live like dead people anymore. And so he says here in, in Ephesians, or sorry, in Romans chapter 6, Verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he immediately answers his own question here, By no means, or maybe your Bible says, God forbid. God forbid that we should live as those who have been raised with Christ. God forbid that we should live as those who are apart from him. He says there should be a fundamental 
difference. Why? Because that old person, that dead man walking who is without hope, has been put to death. And he says in verse 4, been raised to walk in newness of life. Now, this informs our practice as Southern Baptists in, in the way that we baptize. That's why we baptize by immersion, because it's a physical symbol of what God did. He put the old man to death and with Christ, as we signify that by going under the water. And then we say that we're raised to walk in a new life. He's raised us with Christ. So if you're in Christ, you've been, ama- you've been made alive with Christ through his death on the cross in your place and in my place. That's the first thing. God's people are made alive with Christ. Secondly, God's people are made alive to God. Look at verses 5 through 11. For we have been united with him in a death like, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. See, there you have again the old man dying so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He put the old man to death so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died who has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Put the old man to death once for all. He's not going to do it again. If, if you are in Christ, that old man is dead once for all. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse, verse 11 is kind of the whole point. It sums up everything that he just said. If you are in Christ, you must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to to God. So sin no longer has control like it did before you came to Christ. You're not ruled by that anymore. Maybe some of you remember uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous speech, I Have a Dream, in 1963. Remember the way he closed that speech by quoting an old African-American spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we're free at last. What powerful words those were for many African-Americans who'd been treated like second-class citizens for years. But, but here's the thing. That's the same tune that we can sing as believers in Christ. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Free from what? Free from being enslaved to sin. We're no longer controlled by sin. Now, if, you, if you've paid attention at all, during your time as a believer in Christ, you're going to recognize that there's some tension here. Because even though it says here that we are freed from sin, we're no longer held enslaved to it, you may have noticed that, that the temptations to sin don't just go away. It's not like you become a believer in Christ and you suddenly have no desire to, to do things you did before. No, there, there's a tension here. So what he's saying is that we are free from the judgment of sin. Sin no longer has power over you if you're in Christ Jesus. Th- think about it this way. When the children of Israel were freed from Egypt, God's plan for them was that they would go to the, uh, go to the promised land and 
that they would inhabit that pretty quickly. Now, sin crept in, and because of that, the consequences were that that generation that first left Egypt had to die in the desert. So they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Those were the consequences of sin. In the same way, our sin today still has ultimate consequences. But, but here's, here's kind of an interesting thing. God never left them in the desert. He didn't say, well, you know, I, I had a good plan for you guys, and, and you all just didn't listen to me. You messed it all up. So I'm just going to leave you here in the desert, and I'll see you in 40 years. No, we're told that he led them the whole time they were in the desert with a cloud by day, and a fire by night. And so even though there were consequences for their sin, God never gave up on them. He never left them. He did not abandon his people. They escaped the judgment of sin. They had to, they had to pay the consequences. They had to suffer consequences for their actions. They escaped judgment because of sin. And, and it's the same way here. Now, if you, if you go and you rob a bank, you, you might get arrested and go to prison, and those are consequences for your sin. That's not God punishing you. That's not, that's not God's judgment upon your life. That's natural consequences for you doing something dumb. If you go speed and you get pulled over and you're given a $150 ticket, that's a consequence for, for, for your actions. As believers, we're not immune to consequences for our actions. We are immune, however, from judgment for sin. We have the promise that on the last day, if, if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, we seek to follow after him. Those times that we stumble and fall, that God's not going to say, well, you know, you, you, did, you did 42 good things in your life, but you did 44 bad things, so I'm sorry. You just, no, you almost made it. Almost made it. That's not the way it works. We're told that for, for those who are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees us covered in the blood of his son. And all of our sins, he doesn't see those. He just simply sees us that we're covered. So when he looks at us, he says, that child, is that's mine. I, I, paid, for, I paid for that child. Their sins are covered. We are made alive with Christ. We're made alive to God through Christ's sacrifice on our cross. So we are dead to sin. We're alive to God. So therefore, pleasing God should be our highest goal. That should be the thing that, to which we strive above all else, that, that in my life may God be glorified because he has brought me from death to life. And then finally, um, we see that God's people are made alive for righteousness. Okay, So you're not just saved so that you can live a happy, healthy life and die and go to go to heaven when you die. No, we're made alive for righteousness. Look at verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here he kind of sums up the section. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 13, he says very clearly, he says, don't present your bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This would kind of be like um, someone being released from prison, serving a long sentence, 
being released from prison, you are free to go. And them kind of standing around scratching their head and saying, no, I'm good. I think I'll stay. I think I'll stay behind these bars. No, we would look at that and say, isn't that insane? To neglect and to, to shun freedom in order to stay behind bars in a prison. And yet, that's what we do as believers when we choose to go back to sin over and over again because God has something far better for us. God has, if you are in Christ, God has made you alive. He has rescued you from death. And then here he calls us to live like it. If you've been set free from sin, live like you've been set free from sin. We've been made alive with Christ and alive to God. Live like you've been made alive with Christ and alive to God. It's very simple. I have a quote here from William Tyndale, who, is, uh, who lived in the uh, late 1400s and the early 1500s, and uh, who was one of the people who was translating the Bible into the English language. And I love the way they talk. We, we don't talk like this anymore. It says, Remember that Christ made not this atonement, that thou shouldest anger God again. Neither, did he, neither died he for thy sins, that thou shouldest live still in them. Neither cleansed he thee, that thou shouldest return as a swine unto thine own puddle again. Don't live like a pig. But that thou shouldest be a new creature and live a new life after the will of God and not of the flesh. I said, we don't, we don't talk like that anymore. Here's what he said, though. If, if, God, if you've been saved by God, live like it. He said, don't, don't be like a pig that just returns to its slop over and over again. But you should be a new creature and live a new life after the will of God and not of the flesh. I told you we weren't going to take long this morning, so... I want us to, to consider just three quick questions, and then we will close with a, with a song, and then I'll turn it over to Bob to, uh, to, to wrap us up. First question is simply this. Have you trusted in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you been brought from death to life? And if you would stand here today and say, Kyle, I'm not sure that I've done that, please come visit with me during the invitation song. I'd love to tell you what it means to, to, to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, turn from death to life. Second question is this, have you followed him in, in believer's baptism? Have, have, you, have you followed him in that symbol that, that you've died to sin and been raised to walk in newness of life? Now listen, I, every time we baptize here, I'll, I'll make it very clear. I don't think there's anything special that happens in the baptistry. It's not holy water. Um, it, I don't believe that, ba that baptism saves you, but I believe it's a symbol. It's, it's a part of our testimony. We say, I've been buried with Christ, and, and a new man has been raised to walk in him. So maybe you've accepted Christ and you'd say, I know absolutely that I've done that, but you've never followed in, in believer's baptism. I would invite you today to, to make that commitment and follow through with that. And then the third thing is simply this. Are you striving to live a life of righteousness? Are you striving to put sin to death in your life and live a life that's pleasing to God by his grace? If you've been brought from 
death to life? Are you living like you're alive or are you trying to live like you're a zombie? Going back and living under sin's rule. So if that's you this morning, maybe you'd simply say, Kyle, just, just pray with me. If that's what you want to do, I'd be more than happy to do it right down the front. I'm going to pray for us and then uh, praise team's going to come lead us in just a couple of verses of a closing hymn. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the great opportunity to look at your word. And I pray that you would call each of us to live lives that show we've been made alive with Christ and alive to you. Would you remind us that you've made us alive for righteousness, that our lives would look fundamentally different than those who do not know who you are. May our highest goal be to please you. God, we admit that we're weak and we, we, we don't, we're not very good at living a righteous life. So in those moments that we fall, would, would you remind us of the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that you've made available through Christ? Would you remind us that as believers in Christ, we are covered in the blood of your Son? We're not under judgment, we're under grace. And you pick us up, dust us off, and put us right back on our feet. Convict us of sin in our lives. And when we feel that conviction, call us to repentance. That our lives today might look more like the life you want for us than it did yesterday and tomorrow more than today. That each and every day you would be shaping us and molding us into the image of your son. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.